I think there's a lot of kind of unhappy people out there who feel as though they are kind of at the whim of the success of the organization. They are under the thumb of senior executives and there's not really a lot of latitude for them. And the reality is that, that there is. And once you start thinking that way, I've seen people change their whole attitude about their, their career and feeling much more devoted to it. Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello, how are you? I have an interesting interview today. We're going to talk about power and influence, how those apply to your career, how you can identify the types of power you already have, and some strategies to influence others. Before we get started, last month, I hosted a panel on earned media at an event produced by CEN Media Group at the tail end of the ACS meeting in Boston. These folks are doing a lot for science marketers, and you should definitely pay attention to them. The other folks you should pay attention to are the ACPLS. Next month, they're having their sixth annual meeting in San Francisco on October 24th through 26th, covering topics in sales, marketing, and career slash leadership. You can learn more and register at acp-ls.org. I hope I will see you there. Now, let's dive into my conversation with Sarah Osteen. Sarah Osteen is the owner of Spark Strategy, LLC a boutique leadership development firm focused on working with clients to deliver high-impact management and leadership development solutions. Sarah, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Thanks, Chris. I'm looking forward to this. So uh, for my new listeners, mostly on this podcast, of course, we talk about marketing, but because marketers are always working in teams, sometimes it's helpful to talk about topics like team building. Today, we're going to talk about power and influence. So Sarah, let's start by, to get people into this, tell me a little bit about your background and how that led into this area. Sure. Um, well, I spent about 10 years at Harvard Business Publishing in the corporate learning department. So there I was really working with organizations to figure out how to implement learning and development solutions for them. So anyways, I was spending a lot of time thinking about uh, challenges, everything from how to have difficult conversations, how to set up programs for managers to senior leaders around topics, really focused on communication. Um, And we used e-learning to address those challenges, as well as kind of a blended approach with uh, facilitators, as well as uh, professors from Harvard Business School to really create kind of very robust programs for organizations. So I was on both the design and the delivery side while I was there and then really realized that I I particularly loved the delivery and wanted to be able to do more of that. So um, I I left and made a a move to Seattle and went out on my own and still do some work for Harvard. uh, But I do a lot of custom work for organizations thinking about communication issues. And one thing that has kind of continually come up for me is this idea of 
of persuasion and power and influence? And what does that look like at different levels within an organization? What does that look like for different gender genders? Uh, how does it vary from industry to industry or where you are, what point you are in your career? So that it's something that I get a lot of requests around, but also just something that I have a lot of interest in, partly because I also, I don't know the answer. It just feels like there is, there are some common themes that I see with organizations that things that work, but I am continually learning that there are new scenarios and different challenges that people have and I, around this. And I, I'm pretty fascinated by that. Yeah. So let's dig into those a little bit. Tell us what you mean by power and influence and what's the difference between the two? Sure. They're obviously really closely connected. I, I, when I think of power, it's more around that willingness and ability to influence behaviors or someone's values or attitudes and, and the belief in others. Whereas influence has more about what is your ability to actually get others to change their behavior? I think in a lot of places, power is perceived as a bad thing. I, I often hear people talk about it either sort of in, a, in an embarrassed way or reluctantly. And the truth is, it's power is a good thing. But if you don't want to use your power, then your your influence is going to be nil, right? So it is it is both the willingness and the ability to influence behavior. So there's sort of a, a a nuance there. Whereas influence is pure, like what what options do you have to change behavior? Right. Power is a funny word. I mean, it, especially in a work context, it seems like you would never say, "Oh, that person has power over the other person," or you wouldn't say it out loud. Right. Right. So when you start talking about it, it, it does sound kind of harsh or manipulative, but that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think uh, I, I have started to use it in terms of recognizing the type of power that somebody might have, like having an expert power. Uh, they have a value that they can offer by being an expert in in, in a certain area. Or, uh, you know, there are different types of powers but that that exist out there, but, but you're right in sort of common language. It's not something that we typically say. Why is this topic, for someone who's listening, why is it important for them to think about it? What, what will it do for them if they understand it better? I think it's a great question. I, I think knowing the types of power that exist and then spending a little bit of time thinking about what type of power you currently hold. Even if you feel like you are at the bottom of the food chain within your organization, the reality is you have connections. You have helped other people at some point. You have experience in a certain area and uh, can share that experience with somebody else. You have an expertise that might be perceived as very small to you, but in a certain situation, it could be incredibly valuable. So kind of recognizing the power, the you know types of power that are out there and thinking about, oh, you know, I actually have some of these options. And, and then using that to have a better handle on your career. I think there's a lot of kind of unhappy people out there who feel as though they 
are kind of at the whim of the success of the organization. They are under the thumb of senior executives and there's not really a lot of latitude for them. And the reality is that that there is. And once you start thinking that way, I've seen people change their whole attitude about their their career and feeling much more devoted to it. Yeah, and getting more of a sense of control, it sounds like. Exactly. Let's talk a little bit about influence and building those skills. How do you how does someone work up to that? Someone who may be uncomfortable with um, that idea or just executing on influencing other people? Yeah, so I, there's a, a a variety of different types of common influence strategies that uh, that you see people use, and the most common is rational persuasion, where you are presenting very logical facts to show that something is feasible and important, and that might be, you know, saying like. We need more operating rooms because it's going to improve the budget in another part of the hospital. Therefore, it makes sense to invest in this or uh, using, you know, data and facts to to make an argument. In general, this is the the most common way you see people try and influence others, and I, I think it's it's probably the the best in some ways. However, used alongside with other influence strategies, rational persuasion is going to be much more effective. So another common type is is consultation. So that might be asking uh, somebody else within the organization, either a senior executive or a peer or somebody else, to be involved in the planning or in the development of a proposal so that you can kind of get them on board and get their buy-in. Or maybe it's around... Uh, collaboration, so offering your own assistance in implementing a change so that you can have a hand in it. Uh, So you're not just presenting logical facts, but you're actually rolling up your sleeves and getting involved. And then I I think what's probably the most valuable to to connect with rational persuasion is this idea of inspirational appeal or using storytelling to um, connect with somebody around why this matters. So that might be telling a story about how a, a, a change like this had an impact at another organization, not just on the bottom line, but on the culture and how people felt about the company or how it changed an employee's life, that type of thing. So if you can combine that type of thing with rational persuasion, you typically have a much stronger argument. Does that kind of get at what you're asking? Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, I think that's that's a nice little menu of things in there. I'm I'm listening to it as a marketer, and I'm thinking you started out with features, and you ended up with benefits. So that's that's what this audience will take away from that. So uh, right, um, no, I think that that's a great point, and I, to be honest, I haven't been talking about this to you in the with the lens of marketing on it. But you're right. I mean, everything from benchmarking another organization, which is, you know, a common marketing activity to tying it into not just the bottom line, but what did that change that either whether or not it's product or uh, initiative do for the other organization in terms of health and happiness of employees, that type of thing. And we don't have to, you know, frame everything in the terms of marketing here. I, that just struck me on this one. I mean, I, yeah. you know, the value of talking to someone like you is there's more to 
marketers' jobs than marketing. And so I think this is really helpful. Powers can be used, as we all know, if you've been to the movies, for good or evil. What what makes the difference between a superhero and a supervillain? Uh, it's a really interesting question. And I guess just back to you, do you, do you feel like you know supervillains? You got me. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that they don't exist. I'm just wondering like how you, how you right. might describe that. In a work context, I mean, maybe there's someone who's misusing their powers. Yeah. And it, they could use it in a different way. And, um, you know, you're, you're not necessarily going to call them a supervillain, but in the back of your head, there's something about this person or that person that you just go, oh, I wish they weren't like that. Uh, or, it, it, yeah. or am I like that? Am I? Why are people reacting to me the way they do? Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and I totally agree. I'm, I'm not trying to, to quiz you. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I feel like you're kind of getting at the, that narrow line between influence and manipulation, right? And, yeah. you know, I, I, I do a lot of executive coaching work with senior executives who, particularly somebody who might be moving into a new role, who has transitioned upward and is now in this senior executive role and has in the next first six months to make all these budget cuts and changes and they might feel they, the language that they say to me is, you know, I feel kind of manipulated by the board. Uh, I was, you know, handed this plate where I have to make all these terrible changes in my first six months, and it's going to have this negative impact on my career. Just as an example, and the 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 feeling that that person has is that somehow they've been wronged and and manipulated. You know, I, I don't necessarily think that that's inaccurate, but I think that people can find themselves in situations where they are having to make changes, whether or not it's laying people off or making some unpleasant change within an organization against their will, because it's not what they would choose to necessarily do. And that can happen for a variety of reasons. It's rarely happens because the CEO is just a jerk and wants to wield their power in a, in a way that's inappropriate. I think it, it happens because the senior executives might be uninformed around the impact that it might have on other people. Uh, they might be just so fearful about that, you know, they're going to, that the tide is turning and the, sh the ship is going to go under that they have to make some really painful decisions they might be very driven by money and using that as the the number one reason. So I, I, I think it has less to maybe to do with sort of the villainous nature of it, but being so narrowly focused that on one concept that you use your your power in a way that's not really looking at the full picture. If that makes if that makes any sense, I, I also think sometimes people, uh, particularly new managers who are fearful around uh, being successful in their new role might kind of rule their team with a more iron fist than, than managers who have been in that role for a long time because they, they don't exactly know how to listen to other people or how to delegate. And it can kind of come across as being manipulative or, or even sort of villainous but it has more to do with they haven't really learned the skills around delegation. Yeah. So, I mean, that goes back to what I was thinking when you were first explaining about 
someone being put in that position of having to lay a bunch of people off for something. And I think in that context, you were thinking about the board as the villain in a sense. Right, right. Thinking, now this person has been set up in a sense to be a bit a villain. Yeah. And now going into a new job thinking all the people that work for me, my first impression in this new position is going to be not such a great person. Um, so right. how, how do I get myself out of that? It's a really hard one because it's a, it's a dance where you have got to be listening to your gut and also be pleasing the board and senior executives enough to prove that you're successful, particularly in those first six months. What I have seen to be most successful is that you are moving through the initiatives that the board has expected of you because some of that is unavoidable, but that you are setting up listening posts within the within the organization and within your teams so that you are hearing the potential problems and you are demonstrating that you are listening. So an example is I, you know, I'm working with a senior executive at a hospital here in Seattle, and she was recently promoted uh, to a very senior role in the emergency department and is tasked with having to tell the custodians that they will need start they will need to have to start taking their scrubs home to wash them themselves versus having them washed at the hospital and coming back and and getting you know a new pair in the morning they they'll have multiple pairs of scrubs but they'll be responsible for washing them and it comes with you know fear of bringing viruses and that type of thing home uh, as well as you're know, asking them to pay extra, potentially extra pay extra for their water bill. It's sort of a hassle and it, it can have a really big impact on people's lives, particularly some of these people are semi-homeless at times. Here she is, brand new executive, and this is something she's got to do in her first month. We spent a lot of time talking about how she, how to implement this. And the best thing to do was really to, to meet with the custodians in small groups talk to them about the challenge, talk to them about the fact that the FDA actually thinks it's okay. By the time you typically get home, there's you're not carrying as much stuff on your scrubs as you might think you are. And, and really explaining the mission of the hospital and how it translates down to their specific role. But then most, most importantly, opening it up and saying, what are your concerns about this? What do I need to know about why you're fearful around this? And, and making sure she understood that and that she is is answering questions and then also saying, you know, I'm going to check back in with you a month after this has been established to hear how it's going. So we're, I'm not forcing this on you forever, but we, we do want to try this out and I'm going to check back in with you in a, in a month. So really letting them know that she's hearing from them. And it, and it took a lot of time and there's a huge number of custodians and she was meeting with them in groups of five. But it was I think it was one of the most important things she could do. I think that's a pretty striking example of someone who's in, as you described it, a very large position of power talking to a group, a large group of people in not such a huge position of power. And what else struck me is the fact that she broke it out into groups of five. So people would really felt like they had an opportunity to speak up. Yeah. Yeah. Like she didn't, she learned a bunch of things like, the fact that some of them don't have consistent homes that they go to, uh, you know, some really striking stuff that that made her think differently about how to do it or how to do it effectively. 
how would someone go about doing a self-inventory of the power they have and how they might use it? Sure. That's that's a, a great question. And so there there are some common areas of power and, and there's a lot out there that you can read about it, uh, but <clears throat> sort of break it down into the the most common buckets are position power and personal power. And position power is really kind of what we think about uh, in terms of like, <clears throat> you know, your position within an organization, your rank within an organization, uh, you know, how that, uh, you know, your the power that you have over other people, really, because of, of your rank. Um, other types of position power are uh, re- uh, reward power. So what do you have to offer somebody? Can you offer them a pay raise? Can you give them a promotion? That that type of thing. And, and that's going to have control over some positive outcomes, uh, it might have to do with the type of information that you have based on your position. Maybe you can share some information about how a product was perceived internally within an organization, and that's sort of helpful to another group as they're thinking about how to market that. Uh, and then there's also coercive power, which is sort of the flip side of reward, which is sort of you you have control over negative outcomes. So you you can let somebody go, you can demote them, you could not give them credit, you know, all those kind of awful things. <laughs> and then personal power is more around your expertise in a certain area. You think of doctors and software engineers or architects, you know, somebody who has a very specific skill in an area and is therefore wanted within an organization because of that type of, of skill and expertise. The last one in under personal power is more referent power. So other people really like being around you. And and ideally, you know, you have both expert power and referent power that you are admired, people trust you, people know that you genuinely wanna help them develop in their career, that type of thing. And com- combined, personal power is is really I- these sort of ideal type of power to have. The the other types of position power that I mentioned can be can be helpful. I think you are maybe more likely to get compliance if you're using stuff like reward power uh, or or coercive power. But you're gonna get you're less likely to get that those high levels of commitment with position power versus personal power. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, I love that last line. I mean, that kind of just wrapped it up. I mean, I was just thinking the position power is probably pretty effective, but you can't use it continually. I mean, people will get tired of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And so personal power, building those relationships and the trust and getting people to do things because they like and trust you can go on indefinitely. Sure. Yep. Finally, let's talk um, about the different influence strategies people might use day to day, different things that might come up and, Uh Men approach them. Yeah. So, um, you know, we talked a little bit about some of the influence strategies out there, like rational persuasion and inspirational appeals. I I think just really asking questions. So, thinking about, 
you know, being willing to engage with other people and asking questions like, hey, you know, I know you have been involved in this other project. Would, you know, I'd love to learn more about that. And so demonstrating that you are really interested and engaged in the work that they're doing um, and using that as a learning opportunity can influence your power in a variety of different ways. It just makes you makes people kind of want to be around you a little bit more. It also gives you um, maybe some information that you could share with somebody else. So just really being open to learning from your peers can uh, influence your power in, in ways that you'd be, you'd be sort of surprised around. <clears throat> um, I think other ways that are, are kind of more obvious but really helpful is just that sort of reciprocation. So being willing to raise your hand for a project or an opportunity that might not feel directly related to your role right now, but could be one, a really interesting learning opportunity, a chance to stretch yourself and demonstrate skill level, you know, to your your boss or whoever else. But also it's an opportunity for when you have some kind of change that you need to implement, there's somebody else kind of on the hook to that you that you could that you could reach out to to say, hey, would you be willing to help me? So those are maybe more obvious ones, but we often think of them more in the realm of either good communication or career development versus influence. And they actually span both categories. All right. So I want to share a little story here. So you and I met because I did a podcast on my swimming podcast. I did an episode and your husband heard it because he's involved with swim across America. And then that's how you and I got connected. And you have your own plans for starting a podcast called Suede, which is, I think, a larger extension of the conversation we just had. Tell us, um, tell us what your plans are for that. Sure. Yeah, you're going to test me on my like 20 second pitch, which I don't have yet. But I, uh, no, I, I just want to continue exploring the idea of influence and power from a variety of different. Imp- uh, industries and perspectives. So everything from how does a surgeon influence his or her patients to make the best decisions around their health, to talking to experts in uh, the environmental field regarding how, you know, what does it look like to influence policy change around the, you know, decreased killer whale population in Puget Sound. Uh, I'm going to talk with psychologists around the influences of love and how we can, how we can manage those influences better. And so really talking to experts in their field around what influence and power has meant to them. And ideally I, you know, really cover a range of, of industries and topics, both in sort of traditional corporate fields, as well as some that are kind of fringy and, and more out there. And uh, it's a chance for me to get to talk to people and hear stories, as well as do some research with the hope of continuing to write about it. Well, that sounds fantastic. Um, full disclosure, I'm helping you get that started. Yes. And that's why we're talking here today. But I think it's a really exciting topic. And I think, you know, whether you're a marketer or whatever industry you're in, life science, healthcare, it doesn't matter. I think 
hearing those stories about how people in different fields of work um, use influence and power, certainly going to be full of ideas for how you can do things in your own job. Yeah, that's the goal. (laughs) So this has been a fantastic conversation. I will put a link to Spark Strategy in the show notes along with your link to your LinkedIn profile and I will let subscribers to my email list know when your podcast has launched. Um, Sarah Osteen, thanks so much for talking to me today. Chris, thanks so much. I look forward to hearing your future podcasts. All right. I know we're all concerned with campaigns and metrics and data, but I'm a huge fan of thinking long-term, and that includes thinking about how to get where you want your career or better yet, your life to go. That's why I love having people like Sarah on the podcast. I hope you got some ideas about the power you have, how to use it, and how to get more out of it. Thanks, as always, very much for listening. It's really a privilege to get to speak to you directly every other week. You probably know someone else who would benefit from hearing these conversations. If you'd share it with a couple of them, I'd be very grateful. We have conversations coming up about technical SEO, media buying, and the evolution of a business from startup to global company. That's it for now. I'll be back in two weeks. Bye-bye.